0: to here's johnny's reviews the movie review podcast that'll slice and dice or praise and hype a movie each and every month there's a thing as it's april i'm doing the alien franchise starting off with the 1979 sci-fi classic alien as it's like me turning 40 i said why the fuck not i'm making some crap for this but I'm not that great a fan of this franchise. in fact, I've already c- covered my favorite of the franchise that being aliens several years back much or three years ago. <clears throat> what can I say about this that hasn't already been said? Well for one thing it wasn't if it wasn't for carpenter's student film Dark Star my archives, then this wouldn't have happened as the star or <coughs> star of that Dana Bannerman said he always wanted to do a science fiction movie, so jumped on a chance of doing one with his college friend, John Carpenter. Unfortunately, in his own words, quote, This should never have happened, and it should never have been turned into a movie. Anyway, Dana Bannerman had an idea floating in his head about World War II fighter bombers dealing with actual gremlins. According to him, this was long before gremlins came out. He took this idea and stuck it in deep space, and then the germ of alien was a born. You might also know that Ripley was written as a man originally but did you know that Weaver was the second pick? The first choice for for Ripley was Meryl Streep of all people. How she didn't do it is because at the time her partner died or rather a partner of a time died and Dana Bannon thought it would be bad taste to ask her to play Ripley. Most people know that the late Sir John Hurt ...wasn't originally cast as Kane. The role was given to him after the original actor came down with some mysterious illness. Also, Veronica Cartwright was originally cast as Ripley... ...until she was replaced by Sigourney Weaver... ...which caused some tension on the set. And by the way, if... Uh, ...Meryl Streep was originally cast as it... ...then why the fuck did Veronica Cartwright get an idea from? Moving on. Speaking of which Ripley that is, or Sigourney Weaver... Uh, Yafot yeah, Koto was told to annoy Ankh under the skin of Sigourney Weaver, which she did so well, she actually hated him, hence why their scenes have extra venom injected into them. I could go on and on and on. If you want to know more, check out the over 96 hours of special features on the Bloody blurry set. Jesus, 96 fucking hells. Anyway, let's just dive into this and see if anyone can hear you scream in space. Also, for these reviews, I'll be using the director's cuts. So, with its $11 million budget, which according to Ridley Scott, he had it double because he'd done a, a picture board of the thing, so, hmm, moving on. This thing pulled in $78 million, which over the years of its many, many re-releases, pulled in well over $200 million. Anyway, starring Tom Skidit, uh, Sigourney Weaver, Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, Yafo Koto, Ian Holm and Sir John Hurt, directed by Radley Scott. The plot, in the distant future, a commercial tug ship, the Nostromo, picks up a weird distress signal from an unknown moon, or planetoid. even. The crew is awakened by the onboard AI to investigate. Three of the crew check out the mysterious ship, and one is attacked by an alien crab-like creature. It's always taken aboard where it soon hatches into a snake-like creature and into a seven-foot killing machine. Can the crew kill the Xenomorph? Uh, Will they all work as part of a team? What exactly does the ship's doctor know and why did the company send truckers to find the ship? Find out here. So the move opens up on the darkness of space, in which, slowly but surely, the title Alien comes on screen, along with the cast names, and my god does these titles fucking drag, five and a half minutes before we finally see the fucking crew, as the camera pans around the ship Nostromo, which the narrator called a tugboat in space, or truckers in space, I mean, oh dear god, lugging unknown cargo throughout the darkness of space. This opening shot of the helmets and ship bridge took well over two hours to set up. In fact, this entire shoot took over 26 weeks to film. Because Ridley Scott was in so in love for these bloody sets and in love with the miniatures and etc, etc. Jesus Christ. <clears throat> anyway, as I said, five painfully long minutes later. I'm all for build up here, but come on, five minutes. Oh, we finally get to see the crew. Getting woken up by a mother. That's M U T U E R or M U whatever. Uh, this ship's computer, which by the way stands for fuck all. I thought this thing stood for something, but no. Apparently it's not. It's just a registration number. And note the crew was supposed to be butt-ass naked and covered in some sort of gelic substance, but thankfully that was changed. Also, as much as I like the design of this ship, the slow panning just shows how cheap this model is. It just looks plastic. I love the fact the writer said this was the first Sanctuary movie to show a, quote, lived-in ship. Hello, Star Wars. Two years fucking earlier. The first awaken is Kane, played by the late Sir John Hurt of I, Claudius, 1984. The Elephant Man, Hellboy movies, Viva for Vendetta, check my archives. Tinker, tanger, uh, uh, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, and of course, Doctor Who as the War Doctor. Uh, One thing before I go on uh, with the rest of this uh, movie. Even though they're in cryo-sleep, how the fuck did they go to the toilet? I mean, think about it. They weren't wearing any adult nappies or diapers. uh, Nor did they have any tubes stuck to their um, lower bodies. Um, Therefore, how the hell did they go to the toilet? I mean, I get it, they're frozen, but surely that last meal they had before they fell asleep... Or is that Frozen ready to explode as they wake up? Maybe I'm thinking this a bit, but anyway, moving on. On to their first meal in over two years, as we meet the rest of the crew, Captain Dallas, played by Tom Skerritt of the Dead Zone movie, Top Gun, Portuguese 3, Contact, and Tears of the Sun. And he was signed on back in the early 70s when it's still going to be a Roger Corman cheapie, until Star Wars came out and blew sci-fiction apart, Now everybody wanted to jump on a bandwagon, including Star Trek, because think about it, if it wasn't for Star Wars, you wouldn't have had bloody Star Trek, because Star Trek was long fucking dead, until, um, 77, and boom, it came out in 79, like this bloody movie. Moving on, we're introduced to Engineer Brett, played by the late Harry Dean Stanton, of many, many, many Westerns, Escape from New York, check my archives. Christine, again, check my archives. Twin Peaks, The Green Mile, The Avengers, and Lucky. His last movie. The other ship's engineer and a money-hungry Parker, played by Yafot Koto of Live and Let Die, The Running Man, *Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, and Puppet Masters. And I swear to God, if he's not moving off to Ripley, all he gives a shit about is fucking money and shares the money. Speaking of Ripley, she's played by Sigourney Weaver, in arguably her most iconic role. Well, maybe Ghostbusters, party coming soon. And note, this was her first movie straight out of acting school. They were introduced to the ship's pilot slash navigator. <coughs> Excuse me, navigator. Uh, Lambert, played by Veronica Cartwright, of The Birds, coming soon, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 78, Witches of Eastwick, Candyman Fail to the Flesh, The X-Files, and Helpful and Grace. And finally, we're introduced to the ship's Doctor, Ash, played by Sir Ian Holm, of Charities of Fire, Time Bandits, Brazil, the 5th ele- Element, no, Elephant, Ele-Element, and A Lord of the Rings, and of course, the Hobbit movies. Once this team building meal is over, Dallas is pulled away by Mother, and here he finds that they're not in our solar system, but an unknown part of the Milky Way. Also, they've been awakening ten months too early to check out a mysterious signal Mother has picked up. By the way, ten months to get from one part of the Milky Way to the other part of the Milky Way. What how fast is this fucking ship? Uh, also, how and the... Uh, but complicated is it to get into sea murder? First there's a thumb scan, and then start to put in a code. And then you have to put in a special card and then press another bloody button. Wouldn't a finger scan have been enough? Or I don't know, a voice identification for fuck's sake. After all, this is an old ass cargo ship as quote This thing is at least a hundred years old, I think they say in, in the movie. I mean the whole retro look, hence why. And Prometheus, it's all touchscreen because it's all modern, shiny, and new. And this is a piece of junk uh, ship, which is why it's constantly breaking down. Anyway, the crew start to panic after they find out they are light years from Earth, Zeta Two. Oh, God, I can't say this it. bloody word. Rid- ridicule In fact, I think I say pronounce that fucking word. I have no idea. I'm terrible. Fucking uh, words like that. I'm never gone. Dallas tells the crew a mother woke them up earlier to investigate a distress signal. No one wants to do it until Ash points out, if they fail to do so, they will lose all their shares and forfeit their money. So, tough shit. A quick tip into the computer later of the coordinates of the signal and it's down to a small moon or planetoid they go. Using a small scout ship, the Narcissus, they head down to LV-429 they all but crash landing, so these ships are all but useless if they cannot land on fucking uneven ground. I mean, swear to God, there's a bit of turbulence, and they hit a rock, and it completely smashes one of the fucking side of the ship. Jesus Christ, I fucking land. Anyway, now stuck on the planetoid for 26 hours, Kane, Dallas, and Lambert head out to find the source of the signal, as Ash eagerly watches from the ship's... um... Observation lounge, I think it is. Or a computer lounge, what the fuck it is. Ripley uses this time to decipher the signal, which isn't an SOS, but a warning to stay clear. And I want to point out the fact that Prometheus fucked up with this timeline because there should have been two fucking stay away from this place, distress signals pouring out. I mean, just another moon down. I mean, for crying out loud. But more Prometheus much later. And note all the smoke used in this is actual beekeeping smoke, which was hard to breathe in. And in fact, Curry found it particularly hard to breathe in. Also, note uh, these spacesuits were over 37 Celsius, and the actors kept on passing out due to the heat and exhaustion from the the, the studio lights, etc., etc. But this wasn't changed until months later, when somebody stuck in one of Riddle Scott's kids, and he bloody fainted. Tell I me, mean, for fuck's sake, get two months to get these things modified. Jesus Christ! Moving on. Now inside the iconic C-shaped ship, or um, horse should huh, fucking speak. Horse shaped ship. <laughs> See, i things fast. They're waiting. Find the huge dead body of the pilot. I note: This was dubbed the space jockey by fans. And this bloody thing was huge. It was 26 feet long and over 7 foot tall. Also, at the prim- one of the many premieres of this movie, this set was in the lobby of the theatre and was set alight by fundamental Christians thinking this was the work of the devil. Fucking idiots. Investigating the bridge, some more, Kane finds a hole leading down to the cargo hold, stock full of Xenomorph's eggs. So down he goes to find a thin layer of smoke covering the eggs. And here, one opens, and yes, you've guessed it, we have the first look at the alien facehugger, which is a crab-like parasite, which latches onto Kane's face straight through the fucking helmet. I mean, that's some bloody leap that thing's got. Note, this miss was actually laser lights borrowed from The Who, who was filming something on an next soundstage over. Also, these eggs were designed by the late H.R. Geiger. Also the chest busters and the Xenomorph itself. One thing I'd love to know is how the fuck did Davis and Lambert get Kane's prawned, almost comatose—actually, in fact, it was comatose—body, body, body out from that teeny little hole that Kane barely fitted through himself. Also, you're on an alien spaceship and this is first contact. Why the fuck would you go poking around all on your lonesome? Uh, dallas and lambert get kane's body back to the ship ripley rightly doesn't let them on board for quarantine reasons however ash overrides her and lets them on board and one thing here mother and ash in fact the company itself gamble a lot on the fact that kane is a fucking idiot and falls onto the eggs to get one of them to open and have it hatch onto him or sorry latch onto him also if the company knew about these xenomorphs and predators since 2003, then why the fuck did it take them to 2121 to send a ship to LV-429? Jesus criminies. Anyway, in sickbay, Ash cuts off Kane's helmet to reveal the facehugger in all its glory. And one thing. What in the hell are they wearing on their face? They're wearing masks with no oxygen tanks. How the ffff do they believe in these things? Also, why is Dallas... There, I mean, and why did Dallas take down Kane? Um, down to the uh, uh, alien ship. He shouldn't have sent Ash or Ripley. I mean, Kane uh, was the second or number two, and uh, Dallas is the captain. Hello, haven't you seen Star Trek? Uh, the captain, number one, should it go on away missions at the same time? Hello, I mean chain of command here. Mm. Ash tries to remove the facehugger, but it tightens its grip around Kane's neck. Uh, so is forced to leave it uh, next to try cutting off, but it bleeds acid, which handy-dandy stops on, on after three decks. I mean for gods, as if to think they you know this only has three sets. Wait a minute here. If Ash is an android, then why doesn't he look like Bishop, or David, or even Cole for that matter? Doesn't it say in Alien 3, Whalen wanted all the androids to look like him? Hmm. Also, while I'm on this rant, why is Ash called Ash? I get it, it's a vertical order, hence Bishop, Cole, and David. If David was forced, should shouldn't Ash be called Dale or something? I mean, God, this timeline is fucked even more than the fucking Halloween one is. Anyway, back to this one. I am with Parker. Why not just stick this guy in the freezer and take it back to Earth? After all, was not that we're trying to do it ever since? Fucking Alien vs Predator, for crying out loud. Uh, back in sickbay. Kane just lies there as Ash lets the facehugger change him from inside out. Ripley shows up to put Ash in his place, saying, When Kane and Dallas are off the ship, she's in charge, not him. He should never have let Kane on board without following company quarantine procedures. He just coldly tells her he was willing to break the rules to follow the company orders, adding, You do your job and I'll do mine. Ooh, sassy. Minutes later, Ash buzzes Dallas to report. To Sickbay, as something interesting has happened. Dallas then buzz Ripley to report to Sickbay. Also, down you go to find the facehugger is no longer on Kane's face and is on the loose. Just what exactly happened there? Did Ash do something to the creature, or did just happen to fall off as soon as Ripley left? Mm. Anyway, a quick search of Sickbay later, and the dead facehugger falls on Ripley for a cheap scare. Did Ash put this thing in overhead just to scare Ripley to put her back in her place? A quick autopsy later and we see the facehugger's organs and note, these were four raw oysters, a crawfish, sheep kidneys and stomach lining and a boatload of fucking KY. Ripley wants to space this little fucker, but Ash wants to study it. Uh, Dallas gives Ash the go-ahead to study it and this ticks off Ripley until he tells her the company wants this thing kept for some reason. Now, uh, with the scout ship fixed, they can return to the Nostromo for one final meal before turning to earth during this final meal kane starts to complain of some problems seconds later a snake like creature bursts from his chest spraying everything with everyone rather with blood before running off leaving dead kane's dead a body in its dust and not this was done in one take using four cameras according to the scenes no one knew just how bloody this would have been in fact cut rates Reaction it here is real, and she was pissed at Ridley Scott for pulling this cheap little prank. Yet was surprised at just how scary the thing was when the, the movie was all cut together. Also, all I can think about is "Hello, my baby. Hello, my baby." Da 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 da. From the Warner Bros. cartoon "One Froggy Night," we've a thought: Hurt was actually dying for real in this scene until Scott shouted "Cut!" and he jumped up. Hence, why she was just out of acting school. One. Spacing of Kane's body later, and the crew hunt down the chest buster using cattle prods and fishnets. Really, you're going to use fishnets, not stockings? Actual fishnets, fishermen's nets. I mean, for fuck's sake, this is 2120 fucking one. You don't have anything more sophisticated than a fucking fishnet. Oh, Jesus Christ, what am I doing? <coughs> Ripley, Parker, and Brett hunt it down, uses Ash's near useless tracking device. You know you think? This crew would be smart enough to notice Ash is against him the whole fucking way. He lets Ash aboard, he doesn't want to cut it from his face, he won't let Parker kill it when it first busts out of Kane's chest, and now this fucking near useless tracking device. Tracking something they find the ship's cat Jonesy inside a locker And did Ash put it inside a locker Because the locker's got blood smeared all over it How the fuck did the cat get in the locker And lock the locker door uh, Bloody cats And uh, note we were hated this cat Ash uh, had cat allergies And it was a feisty little fucker Ripley makes Brett go after the stupid cat, due to it make it shop on another bloody scan, so off he goes alone to be killed by the seven foot xenomorph, not before finding the chestbuster shedded skin. Finally, after an hour and eight minutes of this two hour movie, we get a quick glimpse of Giger's Xenomorph in all its black vinyl goodness. It gives Brett a splitting headache, forcing its second mouth into his skull. And I just love how Jonesy just coldly watches on as Brett is ripped apart. Prove, if prove or been, that cats don't give a fuck about you. All they care about is themselves, this selfish little fucks. And a note. In order to get this hissing from Jonesy, the crew induced a German shepherd to scare the fucking cat. What was Run, Parker and Ripley hearing Brett's screams, they find nothing but a pool of blood. Now traumatised... Parker tells the rest of the crew what he saw and where it was headed, i.e., an air ducts. So, Dallas up with a plan to blast it into outer space using the main airlock. Ash pipes up, maybe we should kill it with fire. Oh, yeah, fucking think? Yeah, Jesus Christ. Kill it! Kill it all with fire! The air's fired at that, I mean, Jesus Christ, kill everything. <clears throat> the plan is set into motion. Parker makes four flame frosts, on with two are news. Dallas goes into the air ducts to flush it out as Ripley and Ash prick the airlock while Parker and Lambert track the alien on the fucking near useless tracking device thing. And I've got to see here, Tom Skerritt was brave doing this air duct scene in such a small compact area carrying a real fucking flame floor or at least a real flame. Mere inches from his fucking face. And I love how these air ducts hatches are supposed to be airtight yet there's clearly a hole in the whole middle. It's as if these aren't actually... Doors? There's shutters for something? Lambert tells Dallas she has a reading on the alien, but she loses it seconds later. You know, it's as if Ash rigged these fucking motion tractors not to work right. It's funny that, isn't it? Hmm. Now trapped in the air duct junction, Dallas first finds a pool of alien spit, which was a fuck ton of KY, and then gets a hug from the Xenomorph as the video goes dead. I just love the fact that this thing goes MO mmm! and gives him a hug. It's hilarious did uh, dear oh dear. Parker shows what's left after the crew, Dallas is flame floor saying there was no blood and nah, no body, just this and a pool of fucking KY. Rip right, comes up with a plan to kill it once and for all, much to uh Lambert's tearful protest because she's crying for some fucking reason. I mean, she, she sends the entirety of this fucking movie crying or chain smoking cigarettes for crying out loud. Parker just stomps around, annoying Ripley, who tries in vain to get a handle of the situation. I wonder if these were the scenes where Scott told um, Yaffel to get under Weaver's skin because she looks fucking pissed in these scenes. Ripley's plan is to flush it out, sailing off all the bulkheads and Irvine's giving nowhere to go. But they main airlock and blast it into space. So then she has a go at Ash. Asking what he and Mother come up with. So she knows he's a robot then. Okay then. He says nothing. So she storms off to speak to Mother herself. Here she finds out Mother planned this all along. And the crew is indeed expendable. With that, Ash attacks Ripley. And how in the fuck did he get into a computer room without her hearing the doors opening or closing? I mean the whole rigmarole going through this stuff. And he just attacks her just like that. Ash throws Ripley around with ease and then tries to kill her using a rolled up magazine forced down her throat. Parker and Lambert come in to save Ripley hearing the screams. However, Ash just grabs Parker's shoulder and all but breaks it. A few hits of a fire signature later and Ash is down and out. I've got to say these androids are easily broken. Two hits to the neck and it flies off. Once turned into a Pile of tubes and oozing milk, does Parker hook up Ash's head to ask why? With Ian home now coated in icing, Ripley questions the head as to why it did it. Ash just coldly tells him to bring the life form back to Earth as a crew is indeed expendable. He then tells him he admires the xenomorph for its purity and tells him good luck with their endeavours. With that, Ripley pulls a plug she tells the others that she'll block the ship, as the two have to get coolant for the little escape pod, or escape shuttle, rather. With that, Parker roasts what's left of Ash's body with one of the flamethrowers. What's left of the crew then split up, Ripley preps the escape shuttle, as Parker and, always crying, and they're fucking useless, Lambert, gets coolant. After quickly prepping the escape shuttle, Ripley hunts for Jonesy. Just leave the fucking car ready, it's a fucking cat. Why are you risking life over a bloody cat? For fuck's sake. As down in lower decks, Lambert stocks up on coolant as Parker watches on, guarding the situation with the flamethrower. After five full minutes of Ripley hunting for the cat, she finally fucking finds it in a ship's bridge and buns little shit into a cat carrier. I mean, just let the thing fucking blow. Meanwhile, down below, Parker and Lambert are killed by the xenomorph. Off screen, should I fucking mention? As for the near and useless, Lambert, she just stands in front of the fucking Xenomorph, not allowing Parker to get a clean shot. He's quickly tossed around and then killed by the second head to the chest, the tongue head to the chest that is. So, with an hour and 30 minutes on the clock, we finally get a good look at the alien and all its matte, vinyl, shiny goodness. Lambert is killed with its tail as it stuck up her ass, or some say somewhere else, but I'm going to keep it PG and call an ass. <coughs> Ripley overhears this over the shift radio and runs to save them, but too late, they're long dead. In fact, it was supposed to be that the alien shoved Lambert in an air duct, which was far too small, therefore she was accordioned and squished to it, but why do you explain she has no trousers on? Moving on. Ripley runs to the main computer to switch on the self-destruct, giving her 10 minutes to get off the ship. So with 10 minutes to spare, Ripley hunts down the alien. Down in lower decks, she finds Dallas cocooned up. He begs her to kill him, so she just fries him with a flamethrower and note. There was supposed to be a love scene between Ripley and Dallas, but it was never filmed. Then it was supposed to be a love scene with Ripley and Lambert, as these two were supposed to be lesbian, uh, lesbian lovers. Again, that was cut, because apparently you can't have one sex in space, you have to have two sex, because one sex may go completely gaga, blah, 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 blah. As the alarms go off, Ripley returns for Jonesy, and then heads to the escape shuttle. Again, leave that fucking cat. Too bad, is and has cut them off. Ripley dumps Jonesy, turning back to Mother CPU to turn off the self-destruct, but it doesn't work. So Ripley is now pissed at the mother and trashes the place. Now with the coolant spraying down every corridor, Ripley must all but blindly run to the escape shuttle. Picking up Jonesy on the way, Ripley just makes it in a nick of time as the ship is starting to blow up. The escape shuttle gets away within seconds to spare, blowing up in space with a huge explosion. Ripley is safe right? WRONG! There's still 10 minutes left. Ripley puts Jonesy in one of the two cryo sleep chambers, then strips down to underwear to go to the other. Too bad the alien is hiding on board. And by the way, there's only two cryopods. How the fuck was Ripley going to get Lambert herself and Parker back to Earth? What are they going to do? Switch in and out all the time? For crying out loud. As we're saying, the alien now on board. She quickly hides in a storage locker, which handily has spacesuits in it. She gets into one of the spacesuits, loads up a harpoon gun and faces off against the alien. She straps herself in, singing Lucky Star to herself, and she opens the airlock, blasting the alien into space. It holds onto the doors for dear life, so she shoots it with the harpoon gun. It tries to hide in the shuttle's exhaust pipe, so Ripley fries it as it just floats into space. And note, singing Lucky Star uh, was Weaver's idea. Also, no wonder you get, to get a good look at this bloody alien set. It looks cheap. Why the fuck would you show this man in a suit um, in such bright light? I mean, because the exhaust pipes were, what was it, a shower and overhead lights used to, sp- to show the, ex- the, the exhaust stuff. I mean, mm. anyway. Workbelly sits down to record the final ship's log and then goes to sleep in one of the cryo chambers as credits roll. So that was Alien and before I judge this Hollywood of today, please take bloody well note. This is how you write a strong female character. I don't want to see a smug, man-hating fucking Mary Sue feminist who thinks her shit don't stink. I want to see... A capable, strong woman who can kick ass, but is still vulnerable and indeed, HUMAN! got crying out loud. Anyway, back to this movie. This is a classic, however, the pacing is off. Even the throttle cuts a bit off. The acting horror is top-notch, the effects are dated, but are fine. My main problem with this is Lambert. She is completely fucking useless, either crying, screaming or chain-smoking. Plus, the alien suit looks cheap. However, I'm going to give this thing a 7 out of 10. So come back next week for Alien 3, and indeed the rest of the franchise. Don't forget to like, share, comment and subscribe. Also follow me on Twitter at Here's Johnny's Pod, where you can vote on movies I will cover. Or you can email me movie suggestions to Here's Reviews at gmail.com. Check out my other horror franchise podcasts such as, A- Alien, oh, such as Hellraiser, House, Resident Evil, Omen, Psycho and more. Also my solo podcast of Aliens... The Fog, Scream Evil Dead and many more a bye. And remember, always take the soup, never the special.